Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Good day. Welcome to New Books in History, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. My, no, my name is Dr. Charles Cotillo of the Royal Historical Society. I'm a host on the channel. And today I'm pleased and indeed honored to have with us Master Historian Olivier Zanz. Professor Zanz is Professor Emeritus, I'm sorry, is a James Madison Professor Emeritus in History at the University of Virginia. He's the author of a number of well-received books, and today we are discussing his newest book, The Man Who Understood Democracy, The Life of Alexis de Tocqueville, published by Prince University Press. Welcome, Professor. Well, thank you for having me. Professor, why did you write this book? Uh, <laughs> it's a simple question. Uh, the answer may not be so so simple. There's no relationship between the length of the question and that of the answer. But just to be to be short, I have been uh, reading Tocqueville ever since my student years in, in Paris in the 1960s. Um, and uh, as I moved to America, to the U.S. in the 1970s, um, uh, I uh, Tokyo became sort of an emblematic figure for me. Uh, it was all my life closely associated with uh, Tokyo scholarship in one way or another. I helped create in the 1970s a small journal called the Tokyo Review, still still being published 40, 43 years later. Um, uh, I helped... Um, uh, uh, I, I worked on the editions of Tobias' work in English, uh, including the Life of America volume of uh, Democracy in America. Uh, I served for a while as president of the Tobias Society, and and uh, so many friends told me, uh, it's your turn to write a biography, you know too much about this fellow. I decided to go ahead and do it. And I didn't regret it. I enjoyed writing this book very much. Now, how does the book compare and does it say anything new as opposed to the uh, Jardin biography of uh, mid-1980s, which Robert O. Paxton was described as indispensable? Well, okay. Uh, André Jardin uh, was a, a great Tocquevillian. His major contribution was really to have uh, 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 published so many volumes in the Douglas uh, Complete Works. You know, uh, there are 17 tomes and 32 volumes of Douglas Letters, uh, um, uh, 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 parliamentary speeches and, uh, and, and the like, uh, since he was a politician. Uh, uh, a book draft, uh, articles, uh, 32 published volumes. Uh, 
the, the complete works began in the 1950s, the, the edition of the complete works, and it took 72 years to complete. The last volume was published last year only. And André Jardin, uh, so it took a long time to do this, uh, to transcribe uh, Tocqueville's manuscripts, his handwriting is difficult, and um, uh, and it just took a long time and, and many different hands. Uh, but Jardin was a major player in this, and and he knew Tocqueville's work extremely, extremely well. He wrote an excellent biography uh, that really narrates quite precisely uh the the Tocqueville's life uh, as a politician, as a writer. He did not really uh, know America very well, so the chapters from the U.S. are somewhat perfunctory. Uh, he, even though they are good narratives, uh, he didn't really try to connect uh, Tocqueville's life as a politician with uh, Tocqueville's uh, ideas as a political philosopher. Uh, so it's a very good narrative of the life as Tocqueville lived it, uh, but but with little connection between between politics and and political thought, and with little connection between uh, the U.S. and Europe. Um, so there needed to be a new biography. There was a new biography that was written by an Englishman named Hugh Bogan. Um, uh, Hugh died a few years ago, which is also an excellent biography. Uh, unfortunately, um, uh, Bogan, you know, m- made Tocqueville kind of a, uh, a monarchist in a closet. Uh, somebody who was never really truly a Democrat. And I think that was uh, error in judgment. But these two biographies, the Jardin and the Bogan, are still very good references. But there needed to be one for there needed there was room for a third one, uh, uh, and I provided it. Now, what was Tocqueville's family background, and how much was he influenced by the same? Well, Tocqueville came from the uh, highest ranks of the French nobility. Uh, uh, the French nobility traditionally is divided into two groups, uh, nobility of the sword, uh, the people who fought in the army, that the highest ranks of nobility, and nobility of the robe, people who worked in the royal administration. Uh, those two parts of the nobility rarely mixed, although uh, by the late 18th century, they did more and more. Uh, the the point being that um, on his uh, father's side, uh, Tocqueville was a, uh, was a descendant of the highest ranks of the military nobility, the nobility of this world. Uh, his uh, an- ancestors uh, had been uh, in the Battle of Hastings and being part of the conquest of England from Normandy. Uh, uh, on his mother's side, Tocqueville uh, came from the highest ranks of the uh, administrative nobility, the nobility of the robe, uh, the grand robe, as the French say. And and his great-grandfather was Malzerbe, uh, who may not be a household name, uh, 
but was the man who protected uh, the 18th century philosophers Rousseau and Voltaire from censorship when he was director of the book trade under Louis XV. And then he reappeared on the political scene, that is, Malzerbe reappeared on the political scene um, uh, during the French Revolution when he served as the lawyer for Louis XVI uh, before uh, 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 doing his trial. Um, uh, Louis XVI, of course, was beheaded and the revolutionaries beheaded Malzerbe shortly thereafter and many other members of the Tocqueville family. Um, so Tocqueville was, in some sense, a survivor of the, of the terror, uh, of the revolutionary terror. He, his, his uh, parents were in jail and they were uh, uh, going to go to the guillotine just as well. But fortunately, uh, they were freed uh, on the day Robespierre fell. And and uh, and several months later, the the jails were opened, and 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 and, and Tocqueville then was was uh, uh, their third child. Yes. Now Chateaubriand was a relative of sorts of Tocqueville. Uh, was he a major influence on uh, him? Well, he was more than a relative of sorts. He he was he was quite present. Uh, uh, Chateaubriand's older brother uh, was married to Tocqueville's aunt, to Tocqueville's uh, uh, mother's sister. Uh, both uh, Tocqueville's uh, mother's older sister and her husband, Chateaubriand, uh, were guillotine. And... Uh, uh, Chateaubriand, the writer, the younger brother, had gone to America during the revolution. Uh, Tocqueville's father uh, ad- uh, adopted his nephews, his Chateaubriand nephews. They were the two boys, and they were raised with the Tocquevilles. So on the day uh, uh, Chateaubriand's older brother went to the guillotine, uh, his brother-in-law, Hervé Tocqueville, told him, I'll take care of your kid. So, so Chateaubriand frequently visited the Tocqueville family to see his nephews, and 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 was a presence in Tocqueville's life throughout his childhood. What was Tocqueville's attitudes towards the 8th, July 1830 revolution? Well, uh, Tocqueville did not. Uh, uh, become uh, Tocqueville was not born a Democrat. <laughs> His family remained, uh, even though they had been decimated during the terror of the survivors, his parents and an uncle uh, and a few others uh, remained deeply loyal to the uh, Bourbon dynasty uh, during the, the Napoleonic Empire. Uh, and and uh, they they truly welcome uh, the restoration of the kings at the end in in 1815 after the fall of Napoleon and where and rose to prominence again during those years of the restoration. Now, Tocqueville was 10 years old during the uh, French restoration of, of of the Bourbon family after the collapse of Napoleon. Uh, his father was then prefect. Uh, 
that is the administrative head of a large region of France. Uh, and uh, uh, and the family welcomed uh, uh, the return of the Bourbon dynasty. Tocqueville uh, had little respect for the ways in which Charles X, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the authoritarian king, uh, who 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 was um, uh, you know who lost power in the in the eighteen thirty revolution had little respect for him but but he was not ready to uh, serve a constitutional the the new constitutional monarchy either with the younger branch the junior branch of the monarchy the Orleans after the eighteen thirty revolution so he he was he was in the the young Tocqueville was in a bind. Uh, he was uh, 25 years old. Uh, he had uh, a job as an apprentice magistrate in the courthouse. Didn't really like what he was doing. He didn't like the new regime, but he was unsure that he could serve it. Uh, he didn't think he had much of a future. So his reaction was just okay. I'm going to go to America and and gain some time and see what happens. Did Tocqueville and Beaumont suffer culture shock when they went to the other side of the Atlantic? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, they did. Uh, uh, there was a, I should say a little more about the motivation for the trip, okay? Uh, before I answer this question, uh, um, uh, I, I believe uh, French liberals, uh, in uh, which Tocqueville was not yet a, a, a part of, but he had followed lectures by François Dizot. François Dizot was a, uh, a politician and a historian, a, a great mind, who, who uh, was a uh, before he came to power, was a very successful his young historian, um, very influential lecturer, quite charismatic. And Tugby had followed his classes uh, at the Sorbonne and, uh, and was was uh, uh, quite influenced by Iso's thinking about political philosophy and how to study political regime. But Iso was a great admirer of the British constitutional system. Tocqueville, uh, uh, by going to America, kind of bypassed the uh, England altogether. He would return to England later on, but decided he needed to see what a democracy looked like uh, uh, and not a constitutional monarchy. So in some ways, there was a, 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 it, you know, it was a stroke of genius on the part of Tocqueville said, okay, well, I want to understand liberal institutions, but I'm going to look at the newest version of it, not not the established version of it. I'm going directly to America. Uh, he needed to find uh, uh, the means to 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 go to America. He wanted to leave the, his job in the courthouse, but then didn't really want to to resign it. So he had to get a leave of absence. Of course, the family was well connected. And uh, the idea of reforming prisons was very much in the air. You know, these were the years where 
uh, you you put more and more criminals to prison. You don't send them to the guillotine any longer. Uh, uh, ex- being an executioner <laughs> was was a, um, a, a job of the past. Uh, there was a real distress in in various European countries for establishing penitentiary systems, and the Americans had pioneered in that work. So Tocqueville and his courthouse friend Beaumont, uh, who was also working in the courthouse as a young magistrate, had this idea that they would propose to the Justice Ministry an investigation of American prisons. And they put together a proposal which to this day strikes me as a perfect grant proposal if you ever apply to uh, the National Science Foundation or some place like that, serve as a model and uh, of how you describe your project. And they uh and and they got permission to go. It was an unpaid mission but the families paid for it and and there they went with the idea of investigating prison as a pretext and seeing America for themselves. And sure, they had a cultural shock. You take note that Tocqueville and Beaumont miss much of the ongoing evangelical revival in America. In your opinion, what else did uh, they miss? Uh, Well, you know, there's so much they understood much and they missed much, which is normal. They spent nine and a half months in this country uh, and they toured it. Uh, and uh, Now, it is a little bit of a mystery to me uh, and to many people as to, as to why... Uh, 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 well, let me, put it, let me put it differently. It is a bit of a mystery as to how it is that Tocqueville missed much of America and was he told it, understood much of it, but also missed much of it, and yet got so many things right. Uh, so in other words, democracy in America still remains uh, an inspiration to the to the readers. It doesn't age very much. Uh, and yet, for instance... Uh, you know, Tocqueville traveled all along the Mohawk Valley, uh, along the Erie Canal, at the time of the great uh, uh, religious revival, the Second Great Awakening, and he had no connection with, uh, with it whatsoever. He didn't understand evangelical religion, he, even though it was all around him. He, he felt that Protestantism was all about toleration of various uh, denominations and sects, and of course, it was as it was often the opposite uh, intolerance as opposed to tolerance. Uh, he he didn't see uh, the growth of the Bible societies and the like, and yet wrote wonderfully about associations. So there's a little bit of a mystery in all of this, which I tried to explain uh, uh, to explain in the book. One uh, 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 simple explanation, though. Uh, is that Tocqueville talked mostly uh, to a Catholic priest when he was in America. Now, Catholics made up less than 2% of the population in the 1830s. Uh, but, but those priests convinced him that 
they were going to conquer the country, that Catholicism was the wave of the future for this country as a whole. Uh, part of the reason why Tocqueville talked to Catholic priests in America is because Tocqueville was eager to tell his mother that he was going to church. He was a young man, you know, he was 25 years old, and his, um, he had experienced a crisis of faith before leaving the country uh, when he was a young man. Uh, and his mother was very concerned about his attendance to church, so he made sure he saw a Catholic priest and would write wonderful letters to his mother about their encounters. Still, Tocqueville realized better than anybody else that, as opposed to the French system, where, or to, the, to French history, where the Catholic Church had been on the side of the kings, had been on the side of power, and therefore had been destroyed during the French Revolution, uh, 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 churches in America remained independent from political power, and that was the thing to do. And this is why there was, in this country, a, a, a close connection between the spirit of religion and the spirit of liberty. It is noticeable that, uh, also noticeable that Tocqueville seems to have missed the influence of civic republicanism on American life in the early republic. Why do you think that's the case? I didn't understand the question, so... Can I'm you sorry. Kindly... Yes, of course. Yeah, it is also noticeable that Tocqueville seems to have missed the influence of civic republicanism on, on American life in the early republic. Why do you think that's the case? Well, uh... One of the main reasons, of course, is that Tocqueville didn't travel in the early republic. He traveled in the Jacksonian era. Uh, he he did have um, uh, uh, a fairly good understanding of um, the rise of the Federalist uh, uh, Party, um, the you know, the writings of Hamilton and Madison, he he read the Federalist. Um he was instructed in uh early national history by uh a a a, a Unitarian minister he, he met in Boston, Jared Sparks was very influential. But in a sense he was more interested, he was more captivated by the history of the establishment of the country, by by the uh, New England community, by the communitarian life of the Puritans, uh, and and by how that influenced uh, the the development of the country, um, he uh, 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 and and in some ways, yes, he bypassed the history of the New Republic. What did he think of Quebec? Well, Quebec was both a relief and a disappointment. Um, he, he, Tocqueville traveled through uh, New York State, across the Great Lakes, uh, to go to Michigan, Wisconsin, all the way to the end of the frontier, spent two nights in the wilderness, wonderful part of the trip. We crossed the Great Lakes, went to Niagara Falls, and then moved on to, to Quebec. And he 
he was very surprised. I mean, he he was saddened by the uh, the fact that the uh, French Canadians uh, were subservient to British domination, which of course was a historical fact. Uh, he found them, in some respect, economically prosperous and pleasant and welcoming. Uh, but he he felt there was little chance that they would establish themselves as a uh, uh, regain power. That he felt that they had been they were submissive, and and uh, he felt that the greatest the greatest uh, uh, the most uh, difficult thing that can happen to any country is to have been conquered. Uh, so he was in a sense. Uh, disappointed by Quebec, and he expressed the disappointment, and he felt like uh, he had a sense of the old France, that the new France was actually the old France. The new France was France, but but Quebec was the old France, and he didn't fully understand the way they spoke, or he found remnants of feudalism in in in, in Quebec. Uh, he he felt they were powerless, and suffered from that. And what did he think of uh, the American South and the institution of slavery? Well, uh, Tocqueville was an abolitionist. Uh, he he uh, um, uh, later in his political life, he he played a major role in the in uh, abolishing slavery in the French Caribbean in the French colonies. Uh, he. He was um, uh, um, sh- shortly after his return to to uh, France. He, he joined the uh, abolitionist society, played a major role in it. Uh, in, well, he was in the in, in America in 1831 and uh, moved to Boston in early 1932, uh, coming coming down from Quebec. He had long conversation with John Quincy Adams, uh, who then was representing um, his district in Congress uh, after having been president, of course, and uh, to sort of fight the backroom deals of the Jacksonians. Um, and and they had a long conversation on the evils of slavery, uh, and. Uh, uh, and and Tocqueville could could not, of course, agree more. He, as I said, he, he remained a, an ardent uh, 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 abolitionist, and and to and at the end of his life, he had become quite quite a close friend with Boston Senator Charles Sumner, who was also a great abolitionist. And many people in the Lincoln cabinet, by the way, were Tocqueville's friends. Uh, uh, um, uh, Everett and Sumner and, and, and others. The, 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 the point being, though, that uh, Tocqueville never, unfortunately, had a chance to visit a, a great southern plantation. He answered one briefly uh, going down the Mississippi uh, on the steamboat, but, but just for a very brief visit, couldn't really see its operation. Uh, his first hand encounter with slavery, uh, his only real encounter with slavery, was uh, 
living with uh, uh, in Tennessee for a week in the cabin of a small uh, slave owner, uh, poor whites uh, as as poor Southern whites owned a few slaves and didn't do anything. So he had a first-hand encounter with the effect of slavery on uh, on the white population, including the poor whites, uh, and their uh, idleness, in a sense. There's a famous passage in Democracy in America comparing one side of the Ohio River where there is work, and the, on the north and on the southern side where there's idleness, the landscape of work and the landscape of slavery. So, uh, so Tocqueville had that experiment, but never really visited a great plantation. Why did he go to England in 1833, and what did he find there? Well, okay, so so Tocqueville returns to 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 France in 1832, and uh, finishes his prison report with his friend. Uh, Tocqueville was subject to, to depression. He was stigmatic. He had moments of of um, great energy and moments of depression all his life. And and it took him a while to recover his energy after writing the prison report, which was due. That was he had to do that. Actually, Beaumont wrote most of it because Tocqueville didn't have much energy for it. Um, uh, but so he. He he decided uh, that he really now decided to visit England to understand the sort of the aristocratic origins of of, of American uh, uh, constitution, constitutionalism. So so um, he really he had, as I said early in the conversation. He had bypassed England together, which was, I think, a great idea because he could see America without a British prejudice. He he could see it for itself, naked, without asking what came from England, what came, uh, what was really genuinely American. But when he returned to France and began to think about this, how to put together his notes, it took him a long time to sort of sort them out. He came back with several trunks of notes of conversations with uh, about 200 Americans and notes, travel notes and assembled letters he'd sent to his friends and family in France. Uh, to put all this, he decided, well, now I really need to go to England to sort of understand what those Americans were before they were Americans. And and also to understand something about British aristocracy, what it meant, how it was organized. Uh, especially at the time in England where there were significant uh, political transformation, a greater uh, openness of the electorate, uh, uh, electoral reforms, uh, social reforms, kind of uh, seized the moment where he could have a, kind of a snapshot of the British aristocracy. That was his first visit in 1833. And in so many ways, one thinks of democracy in America as a book on America, but it became, especially after a second visit uh, in 1835, a, a comparative book where a lot of it comes from is is really observations about England, even though even though even though it's written as observations about America. This is why, in so many ways. Democracy in America is a is a very easy book to read, but a difficult book to understand fully. Why did he write the book? 
uh, well, <laughs> again, uh, uh, the answer to this is uh, is more complicated than the question. But I, I think he 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 really was uh, convinced, and I'm glad you asked the question. That one of the things he discovered in 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 America, I think. And I think that's really important to understand. Uh, is a new meaning for the word equality. We, you insisted on Tocqueville's background as uh, part of the old nobility, Tocqueville's family, Tocqueville's friend. Equality was a bad word. It was it was leveling. It was it was the fact that through the French Revolution and previous reforms uh, and and reforms that followed it, uh, uh, people like him and members of his family were losing century-old privileges. So equality was for them a sense of how they lost their privileges, how they lost their how they lost their liberty, their aristocratic liberty. Uh, again, it was leveling, it was a bad word. What Tocqueville discovered in America was that equality was not leveling, it was uplifting. It was the opposite. It was giving more and more people the ability to actually exercise their freedom. Um, it was the opposite of what he thought it was. And 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 I think expressing that idea was the main motivation for writing his book. I think that's very important. So, so, so I'm glad you asked the question that way. And how did he come up with the concept of the tyranny of the majority? Okay, so I think much of it has been done of this concept of the tyranny of the majority. Uh, it began with a simple observation from Jared Sparks. I've mentioned him before. Jared Sparks was this uh, Unitarian minister uh, who um, uh, was uh, living in Boston, uh, was a great uh, historian. He had uh, published uh, biographies of George Washington and Governor Morris and, and, and uh, other uh, key key uh, personalities of the early republic uh, and uh, often being described as the Plutarch of America. Uh, uh, the two met and, 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 and Sparks uh, explained much of the history of New England to Tocqueville. Actually, even actually wrote him a memorandum, about 30, 40 page memorandum on that history that Tocqueville analyzed carefully and they remain correspondent all, all, all their lives. And, and actually, Sparks was also an abolitionist and, and published some of those abolitionist texts in, in, in Bostonian journals. But to, uh, to answer the, your question, Sparks at some point in the conversation told Tocqueville, well, the dogma in this country, the political dogma, is that the majority is always white. Now, Tocqueville kind of ran with this. Uh, the, the tyranny of the majority was more limited in a sense in Tocqueville's 
writing than this. It was only appeared in Volume 1 of Democracy in America. It's interesting because it doesn't appear in Volume 2. Volume 1 was published in 1835, Volume 2 in 1840. Volume 2 has much more of England in it than Volume 1. Volume 2 is much more a theory of democracy as a whole, as opposed to Volume 1, which is closer to the, to the, to the U.S. trip and, and closer to the to the note-taking and conversations he had in in America. Um, uh, the, the point is that Tocqueville noticed in America that people were very reluctant to to criticize the country. Uh, it, uh, when people describe different aspects of American life, Americans, that is, they only describe the good, the good part. They never describe the bad part. Um, he but said in America you can't even criticize the weather, you know, um, and and there was a sense uh, in 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 his observation that uh, somehow uh, one could only say good things about the country, uh, and and he and, and everybody had to agree on the goodness of the of the democratic and republican principles that no other government could possibly be better, uh, that no other constitutional principles could possibly be better. And this is what he labeled the tyranny of the majority. Uh, when he published this, uh, and of course he's beautifully written, Tocqueville was a great writer, obsessive rewriters. If you read his manuscripts, he, he could write his sentences over and over again until he reached perfect form. And, uh, uh, and 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 we are very lucky that we have beautiful translations of them in English. The Goldhammer translation is an act of magic. But but the uh, 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 there were so many people complaining about this chapter in Tocqueville's lifetime. Jack Sparks Waters, I never said such a thing, you know. I never said there was a tyranny of the majority when I said the majority was right. Uh, Edward Everett, who was, uh, you know, Lincoln's, became Lincoln's close associate, uh, uh, was also talking to his friends. said, no, no, you're wrong on this. What made the theory so powerful is that the uh, British uh, prime minister, uh, uh, he rounded it, has proved that that Great Britain was so much better than America. Uh, so it became a contentious point. Interestingly, as I said, Tocqueville dropped the phrase entirely in Volume 2. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, what was the reception of the book in France, England, and America? Well, uh, uh, in, in France, uh, the book became... Uh, an instant success uh, in 1835. But the reception was different in 1835 and 1840. Uh, as I said, 1835 is a volume closer to the American trip. Uh, it, it is... Um, uh, uh, I mean, I, I have published uh, with my friend Mark Goldhammer, the translator, uh, a, the the an English translation of of all of the travel notes and letters home. It's a seven hundred page book. Uh, it's a beautiful book. Uh, uh, I, I can say it's a beautiful book because it's Douglas' book. You know, I mean, it's uh, his letters home, his 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 uh, uh, travel diaries, um, 
and uh, and you could see, you could read Volume One with this with this volume of of documents, and recognize many sections that are drawn from these notes while while, uh, while traveling. Uh, in in France, in 1835, when this volume came out, uh, this volume was read a lot as by people who who wanted to understand America, know, know more about it. Uh, no, uh, and 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 there was really for the first time a, a highly intelligent uh, a description of American constitutional principles uh, uh, of uh, uh, American political organizations. Uh, so it was it was read largely uh, as a textbook on American institutions. And it was uh, read as a, as a you know innovative work of political philosophy, um, uh, reflecting. It was the first time that serious political philosophy was based on uh, on an, on the American continent, on the United States, as opposed to you know Italian republics or England. Uh, you know, liberals had been looking elsewhere. So, so Tocqueville brought in a whole part of the world, the new world, into the conversation, and people were really interested in this. So he became an instant celebrity. Volume two in 1840, and I'll, I'll get back to England and America in a second. Volume two in 1840 was far more abstract. It became a general theory of democracy. And some people loved it, like John Stuart Mill in England said, this is the first great theory of democracy, you know. But it was too abstract for many people, too complicated. So only people really used to reading abstract political philosophy really uh, um, uh, read it closely. Later on in the 20th century, with uh, uh, the creation of the social sciences, uh, uh, sociology, uh, uh, modern political science, and so on and so forth, Tocqueville was seen as an ancestor, as one of the first people who really kind of laid the foundations for social science. Uh, And that was all based on volume two. Nowadays, there's kind of a revival of volume one to understand uh, 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 Jackson in America. It's interesting uh, the, uh, this this movement. But but okay, so so here we go. So volume one was heralded. It was a new, as a great great volume, and Tocqueville became instantly famous and soon became part of uh, uh, various academies in France and and uh, so on and so forth. Volume two, he was disappointed by the reception, even though volume two eventually became more influential. Now, in America, uh, volume one was ignored for several years. Jared Sparks uh, and others, uh, 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 your friends, tried hard to get a translation published in America. That didn't happen until 1838. And and part of the reason is that uh, um, the British press had mostly reproduced Tocqueville's criticisms on America, like telling you the majority. So Americans were turned off. Uh, it's really not until the Civil War years 
that Tocqueville was read avidly in America, uh, interestingly so. So anyway, uh, England, well, I've mentioned it. It was read well as a criticism of America. So you see, the, now, other point I should make, though, is that uh, when finally the American edition came out, in the 1838, has been in print since. Americans never uh, respected uh, uh, copyright laws uh, until the late 1890s. So Tocqueville never touched a cent uh, in his American edition. <laughs> he, he, he never had royalties from them. Too bad, because, because obviously he would have been wealthy. Why did Tocqueville contract a mesalliance by marrying? Well, that goes back to the early, early uh, conversation, points of our conversation. He came, he came from the highest ranks of the French nobility, um, and uh, both the uh, military nobility of the sword and and the administrative nobility of the robe. Um, uh, he married a middle-class English woman with no wealth. And no, uh, and no background in in nobility of any kind. Uh, so it, it was understood to be uh, a misalliance uh, from somebody in his familial circle. But but we went ahead. He's one of the, you know, he was also the only Democrat in his family. Amazingly so. Uh, he always remained loyal to his family and childhood friends. Uh, uh, he was a man who could agree to disagree, which is not often a quality you find. Why did Tocqueville enter Parliament given his distaste for the Orleanist regime? Well, Tocqueville was not a... a, a a pure, you know, armchair uh, uh, intellectual. He actually uh, learned much of these concepts by travel and observations and conversation. He had peers in his life of, of intense readings, but sometimes he read classic books. He was already in his 30s and said, gee, I never read that before. He, he sometimes described himself as Marshal Soult, was a French minister of uh, minister of foreign affairs during the uh, 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 monarchy, and said, you know, I feel like him learning geography while being minister of foreign affairs. Uh, the the uh, uh, so we wanted to be a manufacturer. He, he, and this despite the fact that he had um, poor health and suffered from, from uh, uh, digestive issues, uh, and had an early case of tuberculosis, uh, of which he died at 53, um, always fought against bad health uh, and had a tremendous energy but difficulty. Uh, he wanted to be a manufacturer. He wanted to to be able to be a legislator. He wanted to be a politician. Uh, and 
uh, he's told some, his old, one of his oldest friends, Gabriele, childhood friend, don't believe, don't think that I have a passion for the intellectual life. I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference immediately. So, so he was, he, and he had, he was an ambitious man and he had in him the ambition of combining in a kind of a unique synthesis uh, action and reflection, you know, thought and action. Um, so he he ran for the uh, uh, election in the French Parliament, in the Chamber, as it was called, uh, as soon as he was eligible at age 35. It didn't happen immediately. It, it was he, he he happened only a couple of years later, and then he was reelected constantly um, until his resignation after Napoleon the Third's coup. And um, why did um, Tocqueville characterize himself as quote a liberal of a new type, new kind unquote? Well, it was one of the uh, several characterizations. Perhaps I could I could begin by saying I could begin you know I, I could begin by saying that he often described himself also as a democrat by reason and an aristocrat by instinct, uh, which which I think is. Is, is true. Uh, uh, that is to say, he he was raised in this aristocratic family. He he was diffident. He, he was not easy to communicate with. Perhaps his best means of expression was all these letters. He wrote beautiful letters to many many people, but on the one on one, he was shy and he was diffident and he was hard to talk to. Um, uh, the uh, uh, so he he had uh, he understood that democracy was the future and he was he said that democrat by instinct but he was said he feared crowds he he was not at all moved towards any kind of demagogic move or any of the kind uh, uh, a liberal of a new kind. I suppose that that was himself a way of reflecting on this idea that he understood uh, the the need for liberal reforms, but without uh, the French tendency to become quickly an ex- a revolutionary or an extremist in order to implement those reforms. He wanted to to build a real center, uh, not a compromise between extremes, but a form that, but a center that's always an idea that I have that I have difficulty to explain, but a center of transcending extremes to be a new creative force, and not using political power to monopolize that. Uh, uh, to to, um, to silence opposition and to monopolize power the way the French did it both 
on either from the right or from the left. We actually see a situation like this today. Uh, um, and Delgado was all opposed to it. He wanted a creative center, a center that could implement uh, liberal reform without, with, without silencing opposition. Why was Tocqueville, as you put it, quote, an ardent colonialist, unquote, quote? Uh, uh, what you said? Ardent, why was, as you put it, um, Tocqueville, like, quote, ardent colonialist, unquote? Oh, well, uh, today this appears to be a contradiction uh, because we've decided, for good reasons, of course, that colonialism was a thing of the past and people had to be autonomous and uh, of course we are still fighting wars about this as you and I know uh, um, on the autonomy of people but the, uh, but Tokyo was a colonialist he he, he felt that uh, the colonization of Algeria was an important part of uh, uh, was important for France. His uh, uh, French nationalism uh, came first, and he felt that uh, in the competition over the Mediterranean world, the competition with England was great, uh, and and controlling Algeria was critical um, uh, uh, in this uh, competition with England. Uh, and and uh, uh, I think uh, his uh, colonialism uh, could be excessive and became excessive. And toward the end of his life, actually, at the time of the Sepoy Rebellion in, in India, Tocqueville uh, revised it and felt uh, and, and began making a, a clear distinction between between uh, um, political domination and settlement and felt that uh, colonies of settlement were dangerous. But initially in Algeria, Tocqueville really had envisioned a large settlement of French population on the Algerian territory. And he was an ardent colonialist. He, he felt it was important for France to, to, to develop this colonial territory. Not being a religious believer, why was Tocqueville of the opinion that religious belief was important in modern society? Well, Tocqueville had a crisis of faith in his teenage years, reading 18th century philosophy in his father's library. Uh, he was not, and this crisis of faith didn't bring Tocqueville any relief, it didn't bring Tocqueville any sense of liberation. Oh gee, now I'm freed from from these beliefs, and I live like a modern man. Not at all. Tocqueville suffered tremendously from this loss of faith. He 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 wished he could believe. Uh, you know, there's a, a book by William James on this title, "The Will to Believe." Uh, Tocqueville really felt that uh, he had lost something significant in looking at his face. And he spent all his life recovering it, trying to recover it. And I think he did at the end of his life. Um, but uh, it was not a happy uh, crisis.
Why was Tocqueville initially ambivalent about the fall of the July monarchy? The July monarchy, uh, Tocqueville was very critical of it uh, during, during, during the July monarchy from 18, 1830 to 1848. It's fall in 1848. Uh, uh, because, largely because of uh, uh, corruption within the electoral system uh, and, and misfunction, dysfunctions in various governmental issues and lack of reforms, uh, uh, or lack of serious reforms, or we could go into the political history of the, of the July monarchy. Uh, 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 but I think uh, when the 1848 revolution first appeared in February 48, we really feared for uh, extremist uh, uh, seizing power and going too far. And he, he kind of panicked, actually. Uh, he predicted the February Revolution a few weeks before, saying we are sitting on a volcano. He feared for the future of private property, uh, the loss of liberty, and so on and so forth. He changed his mind fairly rapidly and, and uh, decided that, after all, the July monarchy, uh, uh, the... Its collapse might given him some some uh, new possibilities, and he embraced the for the first time the idea of of uh, uh, you know uh, uh, everybody uh, uh, voting um, uh, of universal suffrage. Of course, it's universal suffrage for white men only, uh, and. Uh, but the end of the franchise, and, and Tocqueville ran for election in the first male universal suffrage election in 1848 and won. Uh, and, and so he had a moment of hesitation. Uh, why did uh, Tocqueville agree to become foreign minister? Well, if you are a politician and 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 and, and you are several times Tocqueville had ambition to be a member of the cabinet and uh, uh, he, he by then he was really quite a famous character had written uh, a very significant books and established himself as a major figure in the academies uh, he, he was a very important figure and, and uh, he was given the this opportunity and seized it, it didn't, didn't turn out well. His time as foreign minister was difficult, didn't achieve what he wanted to achieve. Uh, he inherited uh, the job of uh, uh, putting, uh, uh, restoring the Pope to, to uh, temporal power, and, and he, he uh, failed to to convince the Pope to establish uh, liberal reforms in Rome, and was a great disappointment uh, uh, to him to be in, to be in this uh, position. How would you rate him then as a foreign minister? Was he a success or not? No, no, he was not himself. He he, he was not. It was a very short ministry, about four months, and and he he clearly was not a a, a success. Um, he decided that uh, 
uh, and he he wrote himself actually quite clearly about this in in his uh, memoirs. How did Tocqueville react to Louis Bonaparte's coup d'état of December 1851? Well, uh, that was the end of his uh, political career. Uh, he he clearly felt uh, he had no place for him in political life anymore. What inspired Tocqueville to write L'Ancien Régime et la Révolution? Well, I, I would think uh, probably his uh, entire life uh, inspired him to write this book. Uh, uh, the, uh, he, he was uh, out of a political job. Uh, he was looking for something to do. Uh, and... Uh, uh, he, you know, we can we re- run the history of his family and his life, and um, and he he thought initially, initially he he, he was uh, trying to to uh, answer a different question than right in the history of the revolution. He 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 wanted to uh, figure out uh, the dilemma that that was obsessing him, that is this, the this tendency for uh, the French left to go to extremes and seize power, tendency that would come from the left or could also come from the right, uh, and and run absolute regimes. Uh, uh, in the, so he wanted to see how the French Revolution, fought in the name of liberty, uh, could possibly end up one first in the terror and then in the, in the hands of Napoleon. Um, uh, and he never really got to that part because he died before and um, initially intended his book on the old regime to be just the introduction to that history. But he stayed there and wrote a second masterpiece. And how was the book, when, when it was published, received in France? Oh, it was received beautifully, actually, because it was a short first volume. It was to be followed by others, but but it was understood to be um, a, a, the work of a great liberal uh, at the time of an autocratic regime. It was uh, because it was, uh, uh, in, in a sense, a, a, a consecration, a celebration of the principles of 1789. Were the principles of the French Revolution, which were, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, no longer respected by the current regime, the return to absolutism under Napoleon III. If you wanted people to take one thing away from your book, what would it be? Well, okay. So this morning as I woke up, I got uh, a a letter from somebody in India who has just published a book uh, book review. Um, this fellow works for the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, and I just want to read his last sentence of the of the uh, of his review uh, that came out uh, in India probably yesterday or something like this. And he says, the publication of this biography 
is as much an occasion to engage with his ideas, he meant by this, with Tokyo's ideas from the previous sentence. So the publication of this biography is as much an occasion to engage with Tokyo's ideas as it is to be inspired by his longing for truth and his commitment to creating conditions conducive to human flourishing. Uh, and um, I him a note uh, just before you call this morning to say, hey, you summed up my intent very well. Yes, I would agree with that. Professor, on that observation, I would like to thank you very much for being so kind as to speak with us today. This is Charles Cotillo. Thanks for listening to New Books in History, a podcast channel on New Books Network. Thank you, Professor, very much. Thank you so much.